Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Offstage. I am Artie McClanagan. I lead the Young Adults Ministry here at Fellowship Middlebrook and serve on the teaching team. And I'm joined today by... I'm Greg Pinkner. I am the teaching pastor here at Fellowship. We are really glad you're joining us. Great to have you with us today. Always great to have you. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're just so thankful for you. And our topic today is one that, Greg, we got... Uh, you know, over time, we've gotten emails about a lot of topics, but in a short period of time, this topic was probably the most email texted in. Can you cover this as soon as possible for obvious reasons? Yeah. And it's about something that happened at Bethel Church. Uh, Bethel's a church out in Redding, California, that is known to believe in the supernatural and the Holy Spirit and right. what we might call an over-realized eschatology that heaven is going to invade the earth through our faith and right. through our prayers, right. not through God bringing it, but it's going to happen to the degree we pray and ask. And so very much in that in that vein, and one of their worship leaders, two people on their team, tragically, uh, their two-year-old daughter, Olive, passed away when she went to sleep and didn't wake up. And the church really rallied around them because they believed that Allah was going to be raised from the dead. Uh, not within 30 minutes, not within an hour, but days later, posting to Instagram and with a hashtag, wake up Olive started trending and just believing day four, day five, that God is able. The senior pastor at uh, Bethel, Bill Johnson, kind of, I think, to respond to some people that are wondering, what is going on here? Had a lengthy video where he got into different issues of God's sovereignty. We're just asking for God to do things he has done and different things. And so we wanted to talk not necessarily specifically about this, though we will mention it to some level, but even more broadly, you know, Greg, it, it's a tragic situation. My goodness, I we have kids. And of course I'd be asking, God, you're able. Like, yeah. you are able. And I trust God and everything he does I trust him in that. But through that, I would just got his there anyway. I totally understand that. But when it went to the next level of days later, asking God to raise someone from the dead and, and with some sense of saying he can do it, he will do it through our prayers, through our asking, through our faithfulness. That's where I think people start to wonder, Man, that seems like you're really emphasizing your ability to make God do this. And so we wanted to talk about, let this be a way in which we speak into the broader issues of, of miracles, of what faith is, and especially walking through suffering and pain and death. What are biblical ways to pray and ask God and then respond to God's sovereign will? So Greg, some indirect thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, of course, this was right before Christmas. Um, it was. And we, we did get inundated. I would say... Um, there, there's so many aspects to this. There's a split in Christianity about issues of spiritual gifts. Yes. Um, whether or not they're even still active. Like, first of all, you're either a continuationalist, yep. which are spiritual gifts continue into the all church. All still. Still operative. Yes. And then there's um, cessationists. cessationists who are saying, no, they ended when the apostles Yep. When the apostles died. So to even begin, you have a theological divide that you have to bridge. That's true. To say, um, they, they continue. For the most part, I would say the average Christian is a continuationalist that believes that spiritual gifts have continued and have questions about what are called the sign yep. gifts. These are things like tongues, prophecy, miracle working, 
So depending on your church's stance, you may come from a really varied background on this. I think that whatever your background, there's a couple of realities you have to deal with first when you start talking about miracles. Number one, when you look at the Bible, there are three ages of miracles in the Bible. So you have Moses and Joshua, and and then you have Elijah and Elisha as the prophets. Yep. And they always come in twos, a senior and a junior, right? So you have Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha in the age of the prophets. And then you have Christ and the apostles who are performing miracles. But over the grand course of the Bible, miracles are pretty rare. That's not to say they don't exist. They're just very rare, except for these moments Mm -hmm. of an intense outpouring. So the question that gets smuggled in with spiritual gift continuationalism is, are we still in this age of miracles and should we expect them? And if you're around Christianity any any length of time, you have a story. Somebody knows somebody who experienced something out of the ordinary. I think we all have that. But to Artie's point, uh, earlier point about suffering, one of the things that we have to take a look at and be very well versed in is exactly really what Jesus is saying life is going to be like. Yeah. Because when he tells uh, the disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, take heart, I've overcome the world. Yeah. When Paul writes, I was given a tormentor from God, from uh, the Lord, a messenger from Satan to torment me and ask God three times for it to remove me. Um, these are people that aren't unfamiliar with mir- miraculous works, but still saying and teaching, there is going to be suffering you're going to have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's helpful way to think about it. Um, you know, in Jesus's ministry, he does perform miracles. Right. And I think like anything in the Bible, it's easy to take, especially the Old Testament or some of the miracles of Jesus, and then say that is something that we can see in our own life because God wants the kingdom to come on earth. He's right. given us these gifts. We can see these things now. And that's also something to rally the troops with and get people fired up. And there's a article that talks even about Bill Johnson saying he believes every person can be healed, that God has purchased their healing through the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's our deficiency which prevents the healing. And I think that is where Greg and I would strongly disagree with strongly. that. Because it puts all of the onus on you. Right. It just does and says, you're, maybe you're saved by faith, but if you want to see these gifts actualized, you then do it. You make it happen. Right. And we would disagree with that uh, very strongly because of the pressure it puts, you know, it puts on you to say, what about someone walking through a disease that won't be cured? Right. And they've prayed their, their hearts out. I still can ask God to do that. And we've talked in the podcast before of yes and amen to ask God to heal, to move, to do that. But at the same time, trust his sovereignty that even if he doesn't in this life, he will one day. Right. And that doesn't make him make him evil or, or bad at all. It's just he knows far more than us of how he wants to order these things than we do. Right. You know, we have a couple in our church right now. Uh, the wife is dying of cancer. As opposed to a lot of people, they have been very public about this and are posting on their social media accounts about yep. about how this is playing out. And um, just some of the most heartrending posts you'll ever read, but they 
continually come back to, and, and the husband posting these things continually comes back to, God has never, God is not answering my, my prayers, my wife will be healed with anything but yes. The answer is yes. It's just either here or in the next world. Yeah, that's that so The good. answer is yes. God is going to heal the person you prayed for, just maybe not in the way that you are, are praying right away, not the way you want it to play out. And it comes back to, RD, mm, you know, good. this this uh, this phrase you've already used, an over-realized eschatology, yep. which is a bunch of theological terms that you may not <laughs> fully be on board with. But basically it means eschatology is the study or the understanding of end times things. Uh, Armageddon, final judgment, hell, heaven, <clears throat> these things. But an over-realized eschatology is saying that some of the things that God has said are specifically about heaven are applicable now. Yes. And so one of the phrases that theologians use to try to balance the tension of we are saved, we are, as the Bible says, citizens of heaven, we are seated with Christ in glory. Yep, always. So this is in the Bible. Uh, but we sin, we suffer. Yeah. And they use the phrase already, not yet, which sounds like mumbo jumbo, <laughs> but a lot of but a lot of the things you have to talk about Christianity are un un yeah. uh, kind of reconcilable with how we have to live, like the Trinity and Jesus being fully God and fully human. Yeah. When we say already, not yet, you are as much a citizen of heaven as you ever will be the second you accept Christ. Yep. But you are not there yet. Yep. You know, so that overrealized eschatology can press into our understanding of how God is going to move in our lives, not realizing that what God is doing in our lives is not necessarily the, the alleviation of our pain yet. I think that's I think that's so helpful. You know, in my uh, one of my recent sermons, by the time this post, I I talked about um, the inheritance that God has for us, and I think that there it is it is him right he's the right. inheritance he's ultimately he gives us the spiritual blessings in Christ and i and i said you know a lot in the more prosperity movement have hijacked that beautiful phrase and said the inheritance is all of these uh, it's healing it's right. wealth it's it's victory that claim these as your inheritance and I think it then can can make people unsure of what can I claim i don't I don't want to use the word claim because it makes me feel like I'm and I think what we want to say is there are God has already Ephesians one seated us in Christ in the heavenly places. Right. He's already given us spiritual blessings. We already are a son and a daughter. Already we're there, and that's our inheritance in Him and being with Him and to live in that uh, now and to come is so important. But when you then say, in addition to that, we're going to experience the life of heaven on earth to this degree for sure, right? Uh, because of the praying, because of the asking, you know, I think it's so, you know, not healthy. I remember speaking, you know, Greg and I have spoken to Kansas before and I was teaching a message um, and I can't talk to a kid after and, and his parent, um, one of his parents had recently tragically died of cancer and he's a 16 year old kid and he just basically told me, he said, he said, there are people that told me without saying this, but basically said, if I had just asked and prayed more, then maybe my mom would not have passed away. And he, 
I think felt this sense of that can't be right, but right. can you help me? Is that right. is that right? Right. And I just obviously, or at least obvious to me, said that is of course these people are wrong. That is not that is not true at all. That is so unhealthy because the the guilt that he felt, Greg, because if I just would have done more, then right. my mom would not have been taken. And I think that's where I get so frustrated is this good desire to see healing, this good desire to see resurrection in children who pass away, yes to that. But when it then comes back to saying, if you do this, then God will, is a transactional relationship with God, not built on the gospel or grace or trust, right. built on really works. Right. But it feeds into our culture that says, if you do this, and it takes these con- these verses out of context where there is faith that moves mountains, but to your point, I think that is different from what God, how he's operating now as the kingdom is here. Right. So let, let's dig into it just for a second on where this idea, if you have enough faith, these miracles will be performed come from. So they generally come from a couple of Jesus's comments in the Gospels where he is saying, if you have faith, you can tell this mountain, go jump in the sea and it'll happen. And then there's another place where he is confronting uh, he's unable to work miracles because there's so little faith yep. in the village or or wherever he is. So these ideas have been extrapolated out into, well, these are prescriptive for the Christian life. It's not universally true, but, you know, here's Bible exegesis lesson number 400, I hope. Pretty much, podcast. yes. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are incredibly valuable, important lessons that we have to take from them. But be very careful at making what happened in them prescriptive to the Christian life. If you want to see places where it says, this is how you're supposed to live, that was Paul's job. That's why the Spirit and the Lord put Paul into writing the Gospels and Luke and or, or, or yep. uh, Peter and John and uh, James and these guys. That was that was where they were going. This is how we have to live. Yeah, the gospel writers are in very specific cases trying to show how Jesus was the Savior. So his confrontations on people with faith were not the same as challenging Christians as to how how to live. Yeah, right. Like, let me give you an example. And uh, man, I'm going to start a fire on this one. But, you know, it's off stage. It's already on That's fire. That's what we right? do. It's already on this fire. This is what we do. We could rename the podcast on fire. Yeah. This is this is what we do on off stage. <laughs> it is. We light the fires. We just put the gasoline on, Greg. <laughs> That's right. It's time. So, the Sermon on the Mount is a great example. The Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthews chapter 5 through 7, uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, probably a place where people have taken more prescriptive ideas from it and said, well, this is how Christians are supposed to live. Here's Jesus's great sermon on it. But if you actually read the Sermon on the Mount in the context of Matthew, so Matthew is the gospel for Jews. Yep. The Matthew is the gospel for Jewish people in Christ's time. What Jesus does in that sermon is destroy any possibility you have of being righteous before God by your own actions. Yep. That's the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is not to go, well, I've got to do these things. Like that is the opposite point of the sermon. <laughs> so, because uh, when you get to the end of the sermon, the people, it says they were in, um, they were in awe <laughs> and said, who is this man? No one has ever taught like him. 
Well, that word awe, that word awe in Greek is terror. They are terrified. I mean, he says things like, if your righteousness does not surpass the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never go to heaven. Yep. And then he says things like, uh, you know, if you have even murdered somebody, yeah. uh, if you've even called them a name. So you go through it. And then all of a sudden I find people quoting a certain amount. Let me give you the best example. Do not judge lest you be judged, which we've taken as the maxim of the church. Hey, don't judge anybody. That's, yep. I'm going, you are taking a sermon that Jesus taught that is not about what you're saying <laughs> and made it a maxim. So when Christ is confronting Israel about faith, that is not the same yep. as him saying to Christian believer who is trying to be a disciple and walk out, well, you know, you didn't have enough faith. I couldn't do anything. Yes. That, these are not the same things. Yes. Um, so it's an off-brand application of a biblical text that causes a lot of pain. You know, RD, I'll touch into that. I, I cannot tell you the level of hurt that I, I would say ecclesiologically, things the church has hurt people with. Yep. I would say it's almost number one for me in my ministry has been watching people who've been told you weren't good enough. And that's why this happened. Oh, geez. Which is just so, it is so heartbreaking and frustrating and actually just maddening. Um, and just, cause I've sat with people beyond the example I gave, just the wreckage of that and trusting these leaders who just said this and it's just so wrong. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's so wrong. And, you know, in, in Jesus' ministry, his miracles, when he, Talitha Kum, he tells this little girl to get up and wake up, is something that I think is a beautiful, powerful moment. Obviously was for that family, just incredible. But the point of that is not that then through those words you can speak, necessarily other little girls will wake up. It is that because she, the only reason that she rose from the dead is because Jesus Christ was going to the cross and would one day be raised from the dead by God the Father, right? That miracle of her is the same, basically, words that God says to Jesus, right? Talitha Kumi, you need to get up. And I think that miracle is just a foretaste of the great miracle that is right. to come. And that's the point of the miracles is right. not that we say, well, we need to then see these. As great as some of that would be, and we would love to see that just because we want to see these things happen to people, that's not the point. And it lets our feelings run ahead of the theology of the scriptures. And so then we need to say, no, the miracle is God raised Jesus from the dead. And one day he will heal all of us and he'll raise us from the dead. And these miracles point to that great reality and to take them away from that and just move them over here and say, that is a miracle we can emulate if we just speak those words again, rips the gospel out of it, rips the context out of it and has makes it have nothing to do with the cross and the resurrection. And right. that is never something that is a helpful way to do your hermeneutics, how you read the Bible. You've always got to connect it back to the mission of Jesus Christ throughout the entirety of the biblical storyline. Right. You know, in, in that line, I think if you ask the average person, the average Christian, what is God's will for your life? Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, working in young adult ministry, working in college ministry is like the number one question. Yes. What's God's will for my life? Yep. I'm like, I, I don't know. I know two things that are God's will for your life. Here's two things that are God's will for your life. Number one, the display and the and the beholding and the glorification yep. of his glory. Right? We say it all the time. We do. So if you want to know what's God's will for my life, number one, to put his glory on display. Yep. That's one. Number two, uh, I would say to the believer 
The second thing God is doing in your life overall is he is testing and purifying your faith, right? He's testing and purifying your faith. Yeah, First Peter 1. So when things come into our worlds, we need to see them as this is for the display of God's glory so that I'm speaking about the wonderful things he's done in like in blessing and in cursing. You know, I was really encouraged mm. in the, you know, two worship song cycles ago, <laughs> like whatever, <laughs> you know, kind of come in waves where we were getting songs like Blessed Be Your Name that we're saying. No matter what. And it's good or bad. If you give and take praise, away. Praise yep. the Lord. Those yep. kind of things. Yep. Um, hmm. Because when when Jennifer and I are going through years of infertility. Yeah. That is for the display of his glory so that we say no matter what, God is good. Mm-hmm. And the testing of our faith to show, do you, are you still with me? Mm. Do you trust me? Yes. And then when our sons are born, blessed be your name. Okay. Are you still with me? And um, to understand those things then puts how we can pray for miracles. Because if you walk away from this, yep. and what you've heard us saying is don't pray for a miracle, accept it, walk on. Fundamentally, no, that is not what we're saying. We're saying that the uh, the praying for those things should come into the context of, but what's your ultimate goal? Now, who's our example in this? It's always Jesus. Yep. Jesus is our example in this. So when Christ is at the cross, when he's in Gethsemane, and it's his yep. time to go, and he says, yeah. uh, if there's any way that, that this can pass through my lips, but but your will be done. Yep. So if we come in saying, you know what? I'm going to claim this miracle. It's mine. I claim it. It's, And no part of us is going, but God, what if your will is for my loss in this time. You see that, so these are the fundamental sort of kind of building blocks of how we are to interact with God. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, I think, you know, the sovereignty of God, we believe in it, you know, Greg and I being reformed, of course, but at the same time, Jesus says, pray and ask. And so Greg and I want to say, which which maybe not all Reformed people would say, but we want to say both and. Right. Say exactly. pray, ask, and knock, and then trust. And believe God is able to do the miracle. And yet, and here's, I think, a hard but beautiful truth. He is still good. Right. Amen to that. If the miracle never comes, um, that you're actually, you're specifically praying for. And he is growing your faith to make you more like him. And I think, you know, Jesus prayed for, you know, the disciples and um, he got a crew that may have not been all that he thought he was praying for, <laughs> honestly, you know, and one ended up betraying him. And yet this is God's will to grow and to test us. And we did a podcast on suffering. You can listen to that from season one. Um, but specifically here, if you're walking through suffering or pain or someone you know, then pray and ask and, and knock on the door of heaven. But but know the ultimate answer is not found in what you bring to it or the, the quality of your prayers, but in the object of your prayers, and that's right. Jesus, right? You're praying to him and keep your focus there and your faith there. And at the same time, Greg, I, I'd say it also... You know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I, when I, as a pastor, you hear a lot of bad news 
you just, it comes across your desk in your life because that's when people come see you, you hear about, can we pray for this? And uh, it just, it makes me, it's, it is totally good and right to lament and to mourn and to weep uh, those things for, for seasons and just say, this is not the way God designed the world. And one day he's going to make it right. But until then, we're going to pray and ask, and mostly we're going to trust that he's able to, to refine us regardless of what the outcome of this. Because I think if your faith in Christ is built on the outcome and not built on what he's trying to build in you, you're going to spend most of your life disappointed with God, angry at God, because you thought you signed up for God and this vision for my life. Right. And God's vision for your life is going to walk through the valley. And that's going to shape you into who you are. And often in the valley are things that we cannot explain and don't understand. And yet trusting again that God who sees millennium can see and he's a good father, knows what he's doing. But at the same time, you can still be sad, you know, and, that, right. and that's okay. Right. You know, when, as we're talking, of course, you know, part of me is imagining my inbox when this episode drops and I'm thinking through, you know, the person who will going to send me emails or showing, hey, look, here's this story of this girl being raised from the dead in Africa. It's always Africa. Somewhere out there, yeah. Yeah, which is always crazy to me. That's like, here's this story that no one else is covering and no one's talking about. Yeah. You know. Um, (laughs) Again, we're not saying that God couldn't do this or wouldn't do this. Yep. That's not what we're saying. can. Yes, 100%. But it's not a guarantee. But the flip side of that is... What we're trying to get across here is a notion of when we come to Christ, we are beginning a relationship with God, right? And our Christian lives are about the growth of that relationship. And God is the reward. Your daughter back is not the reward. And I used to challenge college students with this all the time when we would talk about suffering and the sovereignty of God. And I would say, listen, the time to think through these things and push your heart with them is now, is yeah. when things are, you know, I'm holding up the air quote fingers, good. When you do have some places where you're struggling in life, but they're not these mass. Yeah. Like when you go into your daughter's room and she's cold and she's not breathing, those next few hours, you are not ready for a theological discussion. Yep. You are going to be raw and with God. And that hopefully that's, the, that's the, the commitments you've made in your heart come up at that moment. Yeah. They start coming out mm-hmm. where you are saying, you know, God, in this worst, in this horrible pain, um, mm. blessed be your name. Let yeah. me figure out how to praise you, but also to do as you commanded, which is to ask, mm. you know, uh, to ask um, for these things, to pray without ceasing, to come before you. I think part of this comes from, I don't know how to say if our culture's uh, very uh, removed sense of suffering plays into this a lot more. You know what I mean? Yeah. We as, we as America has have removed as much hardship from our worlds as possible. Mm. And our, our ability to take suffering, our, our muscles are so atrophied. Yeah. I'll go in. I'll jump. I think that's a great point. And when you build a culture around prosperity and health, and then you build a church culture around that, then suffering is an interruption 
to what we think God's plan is versus in the scriptures, suffering being normal, being right. a part of it, being what, and even throughout the history of the church and what most people in the world now experience as Christians is, is suffering. It is normal. And for us, it doesn't mean that it's, it's something that we've said before that you go out and seek or that you want or that you, you just celebrate. But when you, it's so foreign to you as, as what could be possible. I do think it creates responses and reactions where you're trying to say, God, just fix this. Right. Just solve this. Right. Just get, this is not, this disease, this death, this job loss, that, just get away from me instead of, my goodness, how are you trying to get my attention? How is this part of your, and not that you're going to say that in day one after or week one, but at some point you look back and don't say, okay, if I did that again, I could do this, this, and this, and it would fix it. Right. That's our kind of response. That can be my response. But the Lord is saying, no, there's something deeper here that I want to you to grow in, which is trusting me in the storm and the storm may never pass. And I'm going to bring the suffering into your life to some degree so that you will come to me and don't see it as just like, God, do you know what's going on here? Can you not fix this? And right. God's like, well, I can fix it, but I'm not going to right. because I love you and I care for you. And the way that you're living your life or the way things are happening for you outside of something interrupting it is not going to show you more of my glory. Right. And that is so contradictory to our culture. So I think, you know, I think that's a huge, you know, piece. I'll, I'll conclude with this, Greg, and then let you wrap up. Um, you know, the, I think the hashtag wake up olive was just made it even more powerful. And when you, you put someone's name to it and pictures of this beautiful girl and having a girl who three girls, uh, who are kind of, she's in between their ages um, just makes it so heartbreaking and sad and tragic. And also for the, the, the thousands and thousands of families for whom um, they could have a similar hashtag, you know, wake up, whoever. And I, I'd say this, you know, because of Christ, Olive is, she's awake now. Right. And she is breathing now and she's alive now. And that is because of what God has done for us in Christ through the resurrection, that there is hope beyond the grave. Yeah. And it doesn't mean there won't be lament and mourning and longing for this not to be the way it is, but it, it means that we, as Paul says, we, we are people that grieve, um, but with hope, with hope that God is able to do this. And I, I would just say, believe that God is able to do miracles, but the greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have hope beyond the grave. Right. And even if God doesn't do X, Y, and Z in your life, he's still good. And he's trying to build something in you that is far beyond the circumstances of your life. If you will trust him and allow him to work and give him control of your life, even in the hardest things that you walk through and believing there's something in this beyond what I could even imagine. Right. Greg, how would you sum up today? You know, I, I think I would say um, we would be remiss if we didn't also talk about that periods of suffering are often, um, I mean, often, almost always accompanied by a season of deep silence from God, that they seem to go hand in hand. 
that when mm. when we are suffering is not also the time that we're going, man, but God is talking to me so much. Yeah. Um, mm. It's amazing to me that people who are in seasons of deep suffering will say, I don't really feel God's, I don't really feel God's teaching me moments, but he's got me. He's provided in so many ways. Yeah. But it's this sense of, that is not the time that God is expanding our minds toward him. It's usually a time where we're going praying and feeling like our prayers are hitting the roof. Yep. Like if you are out there and you are hearing this and you are in a season of suffering, you are not alone. That is an almost universal Christian experience. Yes. Right. Why? Because God is growing your faith and your trust in him. Mm. Do you believe what you say you believe about me? And you're like, listen, uh, God, I'm going through suffering right now. Now's not the time for the pop quiz. I don't need the pop quiz, (laughs) right? But but this is essential to God God purifying your faith so that it is proven trustworthy. When you come out, you know, I've never met an emotionally mature person who looked back at their suffering and, and then goes, Oh, I would, if I didn't have to go through it again, I would totally do it. They would say, oh, I wish it never happened, but. Yeah. They're always at the end, but. Without it, who would I be? Who would I be? Yeah. Like, what would have happened to me? You know, on this topic, RD and I both would recommend an article to you from Christianity Today uh, titled, "There is There's No Shame When a Miracle Doesn't Come. Yeah, so good. By, by a woman named K.J. Ramsey. Uh, you can find that online. There's no shame when a miracle doesn't come. Uh, she writes very eloquently about this mm. moment and this understanding. Yeah, it's so good. You know, God has us. Uh, he will fully heal us. He will fully end our sufferings one day. Uh, but not yet. Not yet. They still have a lot of things to teach us. Hey, thanks for joining us on Offstage. Um, we are so uh, happy that and thankful that you uh, are listening to the podcast. And we hope that it is just really working in your heart and mind to know who God is. So thanks for being with us. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Offstage. Please consider helping us spread the word about Offstage by giving us a ranking or review wherever you get your podcasts. We would also appreciate any reviews of an episode you would share on social media. If you have questions or ideas for future episodes, feel free to email us at offstage at fellowshipknox.org. We'd also like to give a large shout out to two people who are essential to making Offstage happen. Scott Bradford, our engineer and almost co-producer that helps us in ways you cannot imagine. His skills are so appreciated in helping get the podcast out. And Megan Allen, if you've taken the time to look at the episode notes, they are detailed. They are excellent, just like her. We are so appreciative of Scott and Megan. Thanks for listening.